Jesus. They have thus far all been in the Gospel of John, but today our last one comes from another writing of John, the book of Revelation. When John was later, after Jesus had risen and ascended to heaven, and the ministry of the church had begun, John was exiled on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea, and he there had revelation from the Lord and wrote these things down. And so that's what we will be reading. The last I am statement is Jesus, as I mentioned in the children's message, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. So that is what we'll be thinking about today. There's actually three times in the book of Revelation when this phrase comes, I am the Alpha and the Omega, chapter 1, chapter 21, and chapter 22. It's only in chapter 22 that the phrase is attributed to Jesus himself, and so that's the one we're going to be working on today together, even though it's uh, the most difficult of all three. So I tried to think about which one I should use, and chapter 1 is just one verse, which seemed like you really wouldn't be getting your money's worth, and chapter 21 is the one I really wanted to do, but we're probably going to be dealing with that passage in our Advent series, so we'll keep our powder dry for that one. That leaves me with, with chapter 22. So before we open up God's word and hear him speak to us, let's pray for the Spirit to help us understand. Spirit of the living God, we ask you to fall, to fall afresh upon us, to shine your light upon your word and upon our hearts that you would help me and help us to understand your word rightly this morning. We thank you for those passages of Scripture which make sense to us. We thank you for those passages of Scripture which are difficult. To each one, we give you praise and thanks and say that it is all your word. So help us to understand your word today. For we believe you have spoken to us for a reason. In, many, in, in ages past, through prophets... And in these latter days, through your Son, and to us, through your Word. So come, Spirit, and make your Word alive to us today, to our hearts, to our minds, and then help it to shape us as we live in the world according to your Word. We pray it in the name of the Word made flesh. Amen. So we're going to be reading from chapter 22, verses 12 through 17, which is found on page, I think, 1042? It's near the end, I can tell you that. Last page, 1042 of your pew Bible, beginning in verse 12. Let me invite you to hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it would be very easy to overlook the difficulties of this passage. As, as we've led up in the I Am series, we've seen a lot of kind of homey images of Jesus as the good shepherd, Jesus as bread, Jesus as a gate, Jesus as, um, this, is, this is the one where it comes to some uncomfortable language, where we hear about Jesus as the coming judge, the talk of dogs and sorcerers and so forth. We could just uh, avoid some of this, and as I referenced before the sermon, there was part of me this week that wanted to avoid it. You might be thinking, this is exactly the kind of passage that makes people think that Christians are really weird. So why are we going to spend time talking about this passage today? And the answer, of course, is that we are going to talk about it because it's exactly the kind of passage that makes people think that Christians are weird. And so maybe you're somebody who is here and thinks Christians are weird. And hopefully we will be helpful to you this morning. But if you're not a person who thinks Christians are weird, you might be a Christian who other people think are weird. And so hopefully this will be helpful to you as well, because avoiding the hard passages of Scripture do not help us answer the questions that our unbelieving neighbors have about the Christian faith. And so let's dive in and ask, what is this all about? The last of our series in the I Am Sayings of Jesus is very important, because I think when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, part of what he is doing is reminding that all the rest of the I Am statements are not he was statements. To say that I am the Alpha and the Omega is to remind us that Jesus is still the Good Shepherd, the light of the world, the gate, the bread of life. All of this is still today an accurate description of who he was because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the Ancient of Days and the One to Come. We are living in the midst of this story of which Jesus is the source and the destination. And so this reminds us that Jesus is alive. He is still the great I am. And he is the one toward whom our lives are moving. It is toward Jesus that the world is turning. And at the end of time, it is Jesus that we will meet. Does that statement make you feel hopeful or a little anxious? Our study guide that many of our small groups are working through uh, asks this question. How does it make you feel to know Jesus will be the one who brings the human story to the conclusion he desires? How does it make us feel to know that Jesus will be the one who brings the human story to the conclusion he desires? We learn a little bit about what that means in our passage today. And right off the bat, we hear from Jesus that our lives The whole world is moving towards a conclusion where Jesus is the judge. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done, Jesus says in verse 12. And then a little later we read of those with the washed robes entering the city and that there are those who remain outside. And just parenthetically for you dog lovers, The word dog here is used in a sort of metaphorical sense. 
Because as we all learn from Disney, all dogs go to heaven. Fido is not the issue here. But that's a really, that's a really a poorly timed joke in terms of sermon delivery. <clears throat> because this is in the context of a very serious uh, passage and a serious concept where there is a sifting. There are people who will remain outside the city who will not enter the eternal rest of the Lord. And this does not sound like the Jesus that we know from the other I am statements. This might not sound like the Jesus you have heard about. Now Jesus is talking about bringing recompense, and he is calling people names. What is going on here? Well, I think it's important for us to remember, or to hear for the first time, that it is good news that Jesus is coming as judge. It is good news that he is coming to set everything right that has gone wrong and to deal finally with the immorality and the murder and the deception that plagues our world. It's good news that these things listed here will be outside the gates, so to speak. They will not be present in the world that Jesus is making because all of these things characterize our world all too clearly. And they cause many people to be victims and to suffer, and maybe you have been a victim of some of them. And so the fact that Jesus is coming to judge is to say that these things will be judged not worthy of entering the city. These will not be present at the time when the Alpha and Omega comes to set things right. You know, it's interesting. Throughout history, there's a reality that the people who are attracted to these sorts of judgment passages in especially Revelation tend to be people who have suffered greatly. The original uh, readers of this were suffering Roman persecution. Uh, You can just think in our own country how many slave spirituals draw on imagery from the prophets and from John in his uh, book of Revelation. This kind of language and imagery has actually sustained people who are facing terrible suffering. And and so it it, it turns out that when you have spent your life under oppression, it sounds like really good news to, to hear that there is a liberator coming to set you free. And then ironically, the people who tend to shy away from these judgment passages are the powerful. Those who sit on the earthly throne do not like to hear that God will cast down the lofty and lift up the lowly. And so it's historically those who live lives of privileged luxury and power that get very uncomfortable with the language of judgment that comes in the, all throughout the Bible. But it, it's a promise that gives the captive and the victim sustaining hope. And as I was thinking about that this week and my own discomfort with uh, how am I going to preach this, I began to wonder if that is part of my own discomfort and maybe yours. Maybe that's part of our discomfort with judgment passages because we are a quite powerful people. We live in one of the most wealthy and powerful counties in the most wealthy and powerful nation that the world has ever known. And so maybe that's part of our discomfort because we agree when we read of things like 
immorality and murder and idolatry and loving falsehood, we can agree that those things are bad in the abstract. But then we begin to recognize, I begin to recognize, that these things are also resident in my own heart. And so uh, there is a, a part of me that is hopeful and part of me that is anxious because I know that I am guilty. Thankfully, our passage goes in verse 14 to discuss my guilt and your guilt, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gates. Now, what does this mean to wash our robes? Does it mean that we have to get our act together, that we have to fix what we've done wrong, that we have to try harder, that we have to do more? Is that what Jesus means? Is he talking about, like, doing laundry, like you and I know, a chore that is laid upon us? Well, this is an image that comes up a lot in Revelation. I'll invite you to flip just ten pages back if you want to, to Revelation 7. And there's this amazing passage where Jesus is, or sorry, John is shown this great multitude. First he's shown 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, and then he's shown, he turns and looks, and beyond this sort of astonishingly large number, which is a symbolic number of completion, this number 12 in the Bible. So this astonishingly large number of of, um, people from the tribes of Israel. Then he turns in verse 9 and looks, and there is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches of victory in their hands. And if you look down to verse 13... We read, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so this is what we are supposed to uh, have in mind as we come to 22 that this image of white robes, they become white when they are plunged into the blood of the Lamb. And so we are reminded here that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is what gives us access to life with God. And this is so important to know when we think about Jesus as judge, that Jesus will be the judge. The judge will be Jesus. The one who is coming to judge the world is the very same one who willingly gave himself to be judged in our place so that we might be clean and forgiven and made new. And so this judge who is coming at the end of time is not some faceless, nameless, frightening figure. We know what his, who he is. We know his name. And we know that he is a judge who is coming with nail scars in his hands that he endured for our acquittal and our redemption. He was stripped of his robes and shed his blood so that we could wash our robes and be made clean and have a right to the tree of life, we read in 22, which is another astonishing reference way back to the book of Genesis where there were two trees in the garden. Did you remember there were two trees? One of them gets all the attention, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was also the tree of life that was freely offered, but that Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they had to be sent out from the garden so that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and prolong 
the agony of their existence. And so we hear now in Revelation, whatever happened to that tree of life, God is going to put it in the eternal city, in the new Jerusalem. And those whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb may eat of it and experience the life that God had intended for us all along. And so here we see part of what it means that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It means that he is going to complete what he started. He is not going to let this world slip out of his control, that evil and injustice will not ultimately triumph, that he will come and judge and restore and set things right. So the world that will finally be is the world that he intended from the very start. What was intended at the Alpha point will come to consummation at the Omega point because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, and he is the Lord of it all. He's the Lord of history, Lord of the past, the present, and the future, and the story has not come to its completion, but we have been given a glimpse as to how it will end. And because we know who is at the end, we can look upon that day of judgment as with hope, because those who trust in him are already found in him. This is how we can look forward with hope, and also it's how we can endure the great tribulation of our own suffering in the world. As we walk through this story filled with monsters and, and um, things that make us afraid, to remember that Jesus is at the end, just as he was at the beginning, is something that can help us endure in the middle. And so how do we then live in the middle, between the beginning and the end? What does this all mean for us today? Well, I touched on this in the children's message, but I was thinking also of a story when I was, uh, realized that Bethany had not seen the movie Amadeus. And uh, I thought, you have to see this movie. This is a great movie. Amadeus is a really good movie. So we went and rented it, and we started watching it, and it was really very confusing. We were not, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I was not remembering. I was like, this, I don't think he's, I guess he dies at the beginning. And then we sort of flash back to the story, because it was happening. Like, Mozart was, it was in his bed. He was dying. Bethany was like, what is going on? I don't understand this movie at all. And um, I was like, no, 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 hang in there, hang in there. It'll, you know, it'll flash back. It's going to make sense. And then um, maybe now is the time to mention that this was in the early days of DVD when you had, you sometimes had two sides, right? You had to put the right side up. And so I was, uh, there was an A side. I had put it at the B side. And we watched the last, like, 30 minutes of the movie. And uh, then the credits rolled. And so... We knew how the story ended, but we didn't know where we were in the story, and nothing made sense, and it was very frustrating, and we haven't actually returned to that movie yet, because now she knows how it ends. <laughs> but we do need to know where we are in the story to understand the story, and to know what we're supposed to do, and how we're supposed to interpret everything that's coming at us in our moment in the story. And I think where we are situated between the beginning and the end, the first and the last day of Jesus, is revealed in this passage to be a, a day, a time of invitation, a, a time of response. How do we respond to the invitations that are in our passage and just come to us in the gospel, where we're reminded of the story that we were created to reflect the image of God, and yet we have all fallen into sin and brokenness, and yet Christ has come to redeem and restore and is going to take his people home. The world is moving towards Jesus, and Jesus will come as liberator or as judge, depending on how we respond in the story. 
So we read in the passage, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And it's almost as though they are inviting Jesus. The Spirit and the bride, the church, are inviting Jesus to come. They are looking forward with anticipation for him to come and set things right. And then let the one who hears say, come. Perhaps to Jesus, perhaps to others. And in the invitation is spoken. And then let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so there is invitation where our passage ends. Do we hear that invitation? And what would that response look like for each of us? That's a question that only you can answer. No pastor, no preacher can see into your heart to know the circumstances of your life and what a faithful response to the invitation of Jesus Christ looks like. But I know that many of us walk around life thinking that we have got to measure up to God's standards so we want to wash those robes, get those robes clean, so we fake it for everybody. And sometimes we might even fool ourselves thinking that our robes are clean enough to enter the city. But I think God is inviting us to lay it all down, lay all of that down, and to just come to the cross and to wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. The only thing that can grant us access into that eternal city. To stop trusting what we've done, what we haven't done, and instead to give that all to Jesus so that when he comes, we don't have to stand on what we've done, pretending like it's enough, but we can rather rest in what he has done for us. I think many of us walk around stuck in sin and misery, pursuing the things that we read in our passage are not lasting. And so there is an invitation to trust. There is also an invitation here to turn away, to turn away from the things that are shown to be too small of a goal. These things that will not endure in the eternal city, murder, bitterness, immorality, falsehood, to turn away from those things and to live in a new way. And that is only possible, again, by coming to the cross, by putting, by putting ourselves under the blood of the cross. That is the only way we're ultimately set free from those things. But when we realize that Jesus is the one waiting for us, at the end of time, we see that there is every reason, while in his mercy, he delays for us to come to him and to lay aside the things that will not last and to be free from them now and to begin to live into that eternal city even while we are here on earth. And I think that many of us walk around paralyzed by anxiety and worry and fear as we live through our own tribulation. And so maybe for you, the invitation is to simply trust in a new way that because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he is the one who can be trusted to work us through this confusing middle that we find ourselves in, the tribulation of our own individual lives. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, we can trust that he is alive. And he is the one who, to whom our lives are moving. And in between, there is the invitation to come to him. And so for each of us, that invitation stands. And maybe it's for the first time, and maybe it's in a new way. But we each need to consider how does, does this look for us this week to live in the light of Jesus coming. This week, this month, this year, in the things we say, the words we speak, the way we think about the world, the way we think about ourselves, the things we put our trust in, the way we live our lives, how will we respond to Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are at the end of time just as you were at the beginning of time. 
and just as you are right now in the middle. We pray that you would be for us, Lord, over every aspect of our lives, that we would trust not in ourselves, but in your saving and redeeming work. We might find freedom and forgiveness and hope as we await your coming, as your people who you have redeemed. We pray all of it in Christ's name. Amen. Nothing but the blood.